Israel is so much more than Krav Maga or falafel, and Jewish continuity has far greater meaning than watching Fiddler on the Roof with your kids. Welcome to the Thrive Study Abroadcast, the show where we will talk about modern Israel, Jewish values, and everything in between. I'm your host, Adi Isaacs, director of Thrive Study Abroad. For the last 15 years, I've seen how a semester or more in Israel will change a student forever. In this podcast, incredible students and people just like them share how Israel and Jewish values not only inspire them, but empower them to make an impact. Yala, Achi, and welcome to the show. Avi, I cannot believe it's been almost 10 years since uh, we first met. Really, really exciting to have you here on uh, on our Thrive Study Broadcast. You're really somebody that epitomizes exactly what we're trying to do is um, that you take, you have a professional drive, a familial drive, but you also have this drive to make a tremendous impact on the world in whatever way you can, especially Israel and Judaism. So thank you so much for coming and joining us today, Avi. Thank you, Rabbi. It's a real pleasure to be here. Great. Hey, let's, let's jump right in. But there really is no better place than to just hear a little bit about yourself. You know, let's start from when you came to Israel. I know there's a large part. Where are you from? And why did you decide to come to Israel and at what age? So, uh, great question. Um, so, hi guys, Avi Lewis, um, now 30. Came to Israel when I was 18 from Australia. Uh, grew up there in the Jewish community. Um, both my parents immigrated to Australia. My dad's Israeli. My mom's from the former Soviet Union. Two younger sisters. Uh, went to Jewish day schools for most of my for most of my schooling. And I remember that around my bar mitzvah, um, I started to get very very interested in my Jewish identity and my heritage. It's part of my bar mitzvah classes, and I, I started reading a lot about Jewish history. I remember like I just took the whole Tanakh, the English translation, and I just like spent few months just like reading the entire Tanakh I was like wow I was inspired is that something normal that everybody in Australia does no no it's it's definitely not um it's just yeah I, I mean I was quite a bookworm like I was always like reading stuff like scientific journals and even like from an early age like I remember when I was even before I could read like my mom bought me this like scientific journal and before bedtime I would like beg her to like read me another page so I was always like very, I was always quite a, quite a bookworm and before bedtime I asked my father if I could watch a Lakers game. Yeah. So uh so no so yeah so my interest definitely like very heavily went like around 7th 8th grade um into like Jewish history and and I and I knew that I wanted to come to Israel. But as like a 13 year old you don't have so many opportunities. So finally I got my chance when I was 16 uh between 10th and 11th grade to come to Israel. I was here for a 2 month program. Uh, and it, it was just a, an amazing experience. It was bas- exactly what I was looking for. It's basically, uh, you're in a frontal classroom environment during the day, um, and you and you learn about a, a topic in, of Jewish history, and then the next day you just go out on a bus and you visit that place, right? So you learn about you know first temple period. You go to the old city, and to like you know Ir David, you learn about you know you know you learn about a different period of history. You go to Tveria. You go to you go on a hike to to the Shvelah, to the Tzafon, to the Dorom. It was incredible. Like, totally blew my mind. Like, this is what I was imagining when I was back home in Australia, like, flipping through Tanakh, like, wishing that I could visit these places. And and here we are. Like, now we're standing in Emek Now we're in Tel Gezer. Now we're, you know, in the Golan. So after that, after that, I, I came back 
um, as a 16-year-old to 11th grade, and I realized, and I just felt that I want to make Aliyah right after I finish, um, right after I finish high school. How did your parents feel about that, by the way? So th- they always knew that I was very passionate, and I'd always go into like very intense bouts of interest in a particular topic. They didn't really. It, it wasn't like it wasn't something that was so immediate. Like, you know, may, maybe they thought they would that the interest would blow over. There's still a couple of years. I was also very motivated to get good grades in in high school, but um, that 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 passion never left me. And then during twelfth grade, I I told them that this is what I'm doing. So they actually accompanied me and supported me uh, at the Sochnut. So we went there. I got my Aliyah documents ready during 12th grade, like before I was sitting exams. So they were very supportive. And at the time, th- the plan was basically that I would come to Israel to, jo- to do Ulpan, join the army, and then return. Um, and, and they just saw that like this is something that I really, really wanted. Uh, so they were very supportive, which was great. I don't think without my parents' blessing, I would have gone. The extended family, however, so aunties and uncles, and it's important to note like my... Uh, my, my mother's family, they, they escaped persecution in the Soviet Union to come to Australia. So for them, Australia was like the promised land. That was like the golden of Medina, the land flowing in looking honey. Like this is the perfect place, no anti-Semitism. You know, if you, you know, you're, you're, you're like first generation, first born, you know, you speak fluent English, like the sky's the limit. Like this is the place like where the family can like settle down and, and like live a good life. So for them, it, it kind of, they, they just couldn't understand it. Like, you know, yes, like let's, we support Israel. We love Israel from afar. Like we'll give out staccato to Israel, but like, why would you go there? You know what I mean? To like, to like, this is, this is the land for milk and honey, Australia, like not over there. So they couldn't understand it. Um, but, but thankfully my parents were very supportive and, 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 and then I came to Israel. Um, it's also important to note, like just growing up, um, three out of my four grandparents, um, are from Europe, um, and, and they were all they they were they were all alive in the Holocaust, right? Each of them survived in their own way. Um, you know, some some fled, you know, deep into the Soviet Union. You know, others were you know fought as part of like the Red Army, um, and then like the extended family. So not my direct grandparents, but their uncles, aunties, cousins, all perished. So growing up with that like deep identity of being like a third generation Holocaust survivor. Um, obviously, obviously impacted me in a very deep way. Just like knowing that you know we have a Jewish state that we didn't have during World War II, and I wanted to be part of that. Amazing. So you came to Israel. What what did you do when you got to Israel? So the first thing I did was uh, I went to Ulpan, which basically means uh, it's like a, a Hebrew language study program on a kibbutz. So it was a five month program with other young Jews from around the world where you basically, the setup is you learn Hebrew in a classroom environment for half the day, and then the other half of the day, you volunteer on the kibbutz. So I was assigned to the cow shed to, to milk the cows. So that really prepared you for the next stage of the army? A- absolutely. Like, I, I don't think there's, 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 a, there's no better way to integrate than to be wor- working together with, like, you know, 60, 70-year-old, like, tough Israelis getting up at 3 a.m. and like helping them milk, milk the cows. Like that was, that was the best boot camp I could have asked for. Amazing. So yeah, so now jump forward. What did you, now how was the army for you and uh, in a few sentences? What was it like? What did you do? So I, I, was, in, I was in the Air Force, in a combat unit of the Air Force. Uh, I was a lone soldier. That's basically a status that's given to soldiers uh, who, who don't have their parents or a support network in Israel. 
Um, I was I was I was living on a kibbutz at the time. Um, yeah, I, I think I think like I was always very passionate and motivated. It was important for me to come to the army. It's not a walk in the park. Um, also, like just being the only person in my team who wasn't like from Chutzlaretz, from like abroad or like a, a native English speaker. So there was a huge cultural gap as well. There was also a big language gap. Like I was still learning Hebrew while I was there. Um, by the way, that's that in my opinion is like the best way to like truly learn Hebrew and acculturate, like to jump into a, an immersive Hebrew speaking environment like the army when no one's going to speak English with you. Like that, you kind of fluent from there. Uh, it was it was a very difficult experience, but it was a very fulfilling and rewarding experience as well. Um, difficult physically, difficult on a mental level um, for everybody. Um, I, I definitely felt it on a heightened level because of like the cultural differences and the, and the need to like really adjust on that level. But I think everyone really finds it difficult on, uh, on like a physical level, right? Like lack of sleep. You have to exert yourself physically. The, the training can be, can be difficult on a mental level as well, right? You're basically thrust into situations, uh, difficult situations. You're together with like the same people, uh, who can be amazing people, but like you're, if you're together for like two years nonstop, there's no privacy. Like you, you know, you're sleeping out in like out in the open, in the outback, in the mud, in difficult conditions. Sometimes you have to do guard duty, where you just like basically stand for hours and nothing happens, and like you have to like maintain your sanity. So there are very challenging experiences in the army, and it is. Can you tell me about what what were you, what stands out as like the most challenging experience you had in the army? I think the most challenging experience I had in the army was was the, the very beginning, like the first eight weeks. Why? It, it was just like this this sudden like hard shock of like going from this go, going from sort of like a really fun environment, like a gap year style feel of being on a kibbutz. You have your freedom, and then all of a sudden you have the uniform. You're not in control of your own time. You're not in control of of what you want to do. Um, you're in like a very, very strict and disciplined framework and you have to sort of get, you know, you have to, you, you just have to like get with the show. You know what I mean? And like, even though you could prepare yourself mentally and like you think about what it would be like and how would you, how you would act and you're excited about it, um, nothing can truly prepare you for those situations until you're actually there. We've, we've had long discussions about how challenges and overcoming challenges really shape who you are and build you. How did the army help you with that? Well, I, I think that, I mean, it was, it was definitely a huge growth experience. I mean, I, I think it's quite unique. Like you basically take all 18 year olds of the society and, and they have to go through two to three years of being in a framework where they're actually, where they're serving their country, where they're being placed in positions that they don't necessarily want to be. They, they have to do things that they don't necessarily want to do. So I think that really builds you up. Um, it also, on, on a deep level, it gives you a sense of gratitude for like what you're, um, for like what you're fighting for. You know, like uh, um, U.S. President John F. Kennedy, he's the one who, who coined the term, like ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And I think that's something that in the West today, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a, a lot of the, the youth um, have sort of lost that concept of ask what you can do for your country because it's become a very much like me, I-based society, like the iPhone, the iMac, like what, what do I get out of it? Like what can the country give me? What can society give me? Um, all of a sudden when you turn that on, on its head and you start serving and you start giving, then you truly start to love that thing on a deep level. I think it really connects like sort of um, on a deep way to how parents feel about, about kids. Like they love their kids because they give to their kids. 
Um, and I think that's that's sort of the same same in, in the army. Like it's a very intense period where you're giving a lot and you're contributing. And because you put so much effort and you invest in something, you start to love it in a deep way. And that's how I, that's definitely how I feel like my relationship with Israel developed. Amazing. Do you remember the first time we met, Avi? Yeah, I, I do. Do you want to yeah. say the story? I mean, it was, no, we, we had a, we had a weekend. We just, we just started Thrive. It was our first semester ever. Uh, we had an amazing young girl on our program. I don't know if you know who she is. Her name is Leah. So she was on our program and we were having an, uh, an army weekend. And uh, Leah said, I have a great guy. Um, I know you're looking for some soldiers. Could we, could we bring him? And I didn't know who this guy was. Someone that was in an Israeli unit from Australia. And I was like, yeah, let's take a chance. So you know, what, what was that weekend like for you? Uh, yeah, so that, that was, it was actually quite surreal. Like um, Leah and I actually began dating. That, uh, fast forward the story, Leah and I now married, living here in Jerusalem. We have three kids. Um, but uh, so at the time we, we just began dating and uh, you don't have control uh, over your schedule in the army. So you don't know when you're going to be let out for Shabbat or for, for the weekend. Sometimes it could be once every week, once every two weeks. On some occasions, I would also, what's called close, closing on base, um, once every four or five weeks. So every moment, especially during that like initial stage of, of like, in, you know, initial stage of the relationship, spending every moment together is really critical. Um, and so I had, I was on base for two weeks and I really wanted to see, see Leanne spend time with her. But at the same time, she had just joined Thrive and it was important for her to be part of the program. Um, but if I wouldn't have seen her that weekend, then who knows how long would, would pass by before I see her again. So um, it, it was, uh, I'm, I'm really, really thankful that you guys uh, let me join, the, join that Shabbaton. It was in the south in Merchav Am, which is like a small community uh, in the Negev Desert, beautiful place. Uh, and, and I just remember that we were sort of sleeping in one of those big Bedouin tents. Uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was, and it was really great. And it was kind of like surreal for me, sort of like jumping in from being in like an all Hebrew speaking environment to all of a sudden like being with people who are my age. So I was like 20 at the time. So everyone there is like a third year college student, my age, like from the States, were there for half a year. It was, it was like a real, it was sort of like a culture shock. Amazing. Yeah. So that was our first army weekend that we did for all these students so we tried on uh, on thursday and friday we had uh, i know a 24-hour gadna experience for the students and then you came with a bunch of other people in the chayalim and chayalot and really made a tremendous impact do you remember how you know what what exactly you did and uh, what was your takeaway from seeing these students hearing your story uh so i remember that we had the idf panel where basically everyone gets to meet with one of the soldiers for a few minutes to ask questions my takeaway is, I, 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 think, I think it's very, very positive um, in terms of uh, diaspora, Israel relations in the Jewish world. Like there's a lot of things that divide us, very fragmented. But to like have that connection point, like especially around Israel, I think is, is something that's very powerful. And, you know, Israeli Jews sort of like grow up with like this culture of they know they're going to join the army when they're 18. And American Jews don't necessarily have that sort of, have that, have that path. Um, so, so to have that connection point, where like they get to be exposed to Israeli culture and sort of what what are 18, 19 year old uh, felt you know fellow Jews in Israel doing at my age, um, and vice versa like what are what are 18, 19 year old Jewish Americans doing at the same time? I think that's like that that's a powerful connection point which you know I, I would love to see more of. Amazing, yeah, just you love to see more of that. That was only the first Army weekend that you joined us. I think that you've done 
probably 10 by now with us, uh, extremely eloquent um, and giving an amazing perspective. Um, From our end, we think it is extremely important for students that are American to try to even relate a little bit about what the average Israeli goes through. And the army is probably the most important thing for them to see. Um, and you joined on a bunch of the Shabbatons. How did you, over all those Shabbatons that you joined with us on those weekends, how did you try to impart? What were the important lessons? What were the important ideas that you felt were important for these American or Canadian college students to see? I think that's a really great question. Um, there's, th- th- there's a few key messages, I think. One is uh, the key message that I spoke about, which is this idea of like, contribution or, or maybe sacrifice is maybe a bit more of an extreme term that like 18 year olds have to make which is sort of very which is sort of a very foreign concept for people who you know live in you know in the west in like very comfortable lifestyles at 18 they think about going to college instead of you know serving their country again not everyone there are also people you know in western countries who do serve but it's like not like the main thing that most people do um i also think that just um presenting sort of the security challenges that Israelis have on a day-to-day basis, especially through the lens of soldiers who are like on the front lines. Um, I think that's definitely a huge eye-opener because a lot of stuff doesn't get to the media, particularly the international media. Um, But if you're a soldier, like you're experiencing these things on a day-to-day basis. Sometimes they're just not being reported or they're just not making it to like the front page of the New York Times. Um, So for a a lot of times, um, people from abroad, when, when they come and they hear like some of the experiences and some of the, the moral dilemmas that soldiers have um, that they're faced with on a day-to-day, uh, uh, day-to-day on the front lines, for them it's a real eye-opener. They just didn't know that like that kind of stuff happens. Yeah, so again, thank you so much for joining on all of those Shabbatons. From our perspective, it's not just those students that they are getting that eye-opening experience, but then they also bring it back to their respective college campuses, their friends, their family, and it really does make a major, major difference. Now, let's fast forward a little bit in terms of you finished the army and you went to school and uh, you did something very interesting in your degree. Well, no, what, what, what did you study there? And then what, what professionally did you start with? So I, I, I studied at um, the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. I, I did a double degree in liberal arts and computer science. Um, I was definitely on the fence in terms of like what I wanted to do and I sort of wanted, I was always like, you know, mentioning mentioned earlier how like I used to go to bed reading that like scientific journal. So I always had like that math science part to me, computer science and, you know, Israel's the startup nation. So you want to be part of like that exciting space. There was also like a, a part of me that like was very interested in the humanities. So glad that I got to do that uh, to, to sort of mix and match. Um, and then professionally uh, towards the end of my degree, I, I, um, I did an internship at Facebook's Tel Aviv office as a, as a software engineer. And then at the end of that, I, I, got a, I got an offer to return there full time. So I completed my degree, took me another semester. And then, and then I, uh, I, I joined there as a software engineer. And I've been there now almost for four years. Amazing. So just go back to college. Aside for always being so, we started like this, always being so focused on school. You also were constantly thinking about how you could make a difference. Now, what were some of your side hobbies while you were in college? Getting married. <laughs> that, was, that was a big one. Um, after the first year, so Lee and I got married. That was that was probably like the biggest life changing experience. Actually, the second biggest, the first biggest is when you have kids. Um, so so that was that was amazing. Leah had just made Aliyah a year before. She uh, the, the the story is that 
uh, we, we were dating, she she decided to to return, to continue with her original plan, to go back to Toronto. I remember and seeing you and in Toronto, you and Leah, you with a broken leg, was that? Yeah, yeah, from the army, yeah. <laughs> I was there on crutches, but they let me go. Um, yeah, so 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 we, we dated. She she started her pre med degree, and then after the first year, she she felt that you know her place is actually in Israel. So she she came. She did Aliyah. She did Shavuot Lumi, national service, which is like an alternative form of service um, um, outside of the army. And then at the end of that year, which which was my the end of my first year of, of, of uni, we, we we got married, and our families flew in. It was amazing, Rabbi. You actually officiated our wedding, which was. Uh, it was it was a very emotional and, and and incredible experience. One of the top moments in my life, also. As a, yeah, um, so in, in, yeah, so in terms of hobbies, um, firstly, I just want to say so much fun. Just like being young and married, and like living in Jerusalem, like starting out your life as adults, but like you're both like in your early twenties. Like I, I, I just think that was incredible. I'm just like looking back on that period with like a lot of nostalgia. Um, in terms of my side hobbies, so so. Um, Basically, I, I was uh, doing a lot of like writing. Um, basically, I, I worked at the Times of Israel um, after I finished the army and before I started college uh, as a news writer. So I was very, very active in like the Israel writing space. I was getting invited to like speaking gigs, sometimes like visiting students that would come. Um, and also Leah and I, we started hosting uh, in, in our apartment. We had a really large balcony. So during the summer months, when it was really nice outside, we would host large groups of birthright and uh, passages, which is like the Christian style of, of birthright that would come here. So that was an incredible experience. So what does it mean that you hosted? They came and they just came to talk to you? No, so it was Shabbat dinners. Basically, there's, there's an, an, an amazing organization uh, based here in Jerusalem called Shabbat of a Lifetime, where they basically uh, connect between host families in Jerusalem and visiting groups or independent travelers. Uh, they they provide all the food um, and catering. You just need to basically make sure it's warmed up on the plata before they come, and then uh, and and then and then and then you just host the group. So we had a fairly large balcony. We could fit a whole bus in of about fifty. So every single Shabbat we would be hosting fifty. You know, if if it's birthright, it's like young young American Jews. If it's passages, it's it's young Christian Americans who are here uh, in Israel. Uh, and that was an amazing experience. So that and really you got to show them about what Israel's about, what Shabbat's about. What was the yeah? So so the focus is 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 what what is Shabbat? What what, what is what is Shabbat about? Um, what what did Jews do on, on on Shabbat and on Friday night? So everything from you know making kiddush, um, you know explaining about why we wash our hands, um, you know pouring pouring the wine. Um, after that, you know having interesting conversations about. What does Shabbat look like? What did what, what, you know? Why don't Jews flip on a switch on Shabbat? You know, what does rest look like? Um, and then we'd also go around, um, we'd also go around the table, and like people from the group would like volunteer some of their experiences because this was sort of like midway in their trip. This was their first Shabbat, so they would volunteer some of their experiences about what it was like for them to come to Israel for the first time, how some of their preconceived notions were changed during during the past few days, what they saw, what they felt. So it was also it was also quite an emotional experience for them um, as a as a group. Amazing. So most people's side hobbies is like tennis, basketball. Your side hobbies is basically trying to impact thousands of people. It's really nice. What and anything else that you did? Yeah. So I, I also managed a uh, uh, like a a pre army preparatory course. Um, basically, the, 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 it's called kosher kavi in uh, in Hebrew that loosely translates to like combat fitness. 
So basically, the, the idea is um, uh, like a training session, physical training sessions um, that prepare people for their army service, like physically and mentally, particularly for the tryouts. So I guess in the same way that like, you know, maybe uh, high school students in America, they'll, they'll like go to like SAT, SAT preparation courses to like get the best mark in their SATs. So the idea is sort of like the same, but like for army preparation, it was like a, a it was like a free non-for-profit kind of thing and uh, focused mainly on the lone soldier community, which is basically, uh, which is basically people from abroad. But also, uh, we, we we got a lot of um, a lot of uh, young people from Haredi backgrounds who wanted to join the army, and and, and they would come to us. They also classified as 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 lone soldiers. Uh, we were we worked in uh, conjunction with the Lone Soldier Center, and I think that so that was that was incredible. Um, I think about five to seven hundred people have passed through that program. Wow! Um, so so yeah, amazing. I know also that you you showed me and uh, did a bunch of videos. What, what what was that like? Why did you start creating some videos? Yeah, so I've I've always been uh, I've always been passionate about about making videos. Um, something that I used to actually do in high school, uh, just like. Me and some of my friends, we'd uh, we'd, we'd um, do like these short like f- comedy skit video competitions that we we sort of like take part in. Um, so I had that background in like video editing and videography. I really wanted to get back into it, and um, I felt that the the just like there's no th- there aren't so many clear and concise videos that sort of present what's going on here in Israel in like a relatively impartial way, like without, you know, trying to spin some narrative or without like trying to, without trying to like bring in like a personal opinion. And I felt that was missing. And, 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 and you basically see like with every single round of, of a round of, of warfare or conflict that we have here, um, all of a sudden like Israel is all over the news, all over the international news you often like have very short snippets, like the sound bites that sort of like get through to like the international media and to like public opinion, but like the full picture of exactly what's going on here and what the what the context is and what the history. Most people are missing that, and and I felt that like that's something that I really wanted to do, and I wanted to like, I wanted to do something in those lines. So so I just decided, you know, on my own initiative to basically start creating some of those videos. Um, one of them was about the property dispute in the in, in the Sheikh Jawah neighborhood, Shimon Tzadik, uh, in Jerusalem. So I like I have a drone, like I brought my drone in. I uh, I, I I basically filmed there, I, and, and I tried to explain exactly what's going on uh, with like aerial footage to like show like what is Jewish owned, what is what is Arab owned, like which houses are under dispute, like what is what what's the background and the context and the history. So I, I made that and uh, very quickly like went viral, got like half a million views, lots and lots of comments. And that just like basically just continued to like go along along sort of that theme of like explaining like got, like the Gaza Strip, for example, like what's that all about? Like what's the history there? How did it come about? Um, what What's the reason behind like all of these flare-ups of violence, the Temple Mount? So yeah, that's, that's definitely something that I, I hope to continue cultivating. Amazing. So you've definitely done uh, a, a lot, a lot of different things. Um, I, I guess uh, the question is: Is that how do you how do you balance your time? You, know, you have a job, you have a family. Um, Jewish values are important. So how do you and how could everybody just think about something they want to give back? Like how do you prioritize? I have a very supportive wife. Um, 
No, but it's it, it's a good question. Like you, you have a finite number of hour, awake awake hours each day, and like especially someone who is someone who's religious, someone who's dati, like you also have you also have your your your, your commitment to tefillah, to to studying Torah. Um, I can't say that I'm I'm perfect. Like I'm, I definitely I definitely you know I'm I'm definitely not not the best at uh, you know like really managing my time time wisely. But but I, I think that. Um, if, if, I think that if people just sort of like examine the amount of like quote unquote dead time that they have throughout the day, um, for example, sitting on a bus, commuting, um, a lot of people will like, you know, the, just now I had a doctor's appointment. So just like waiting there for like half an hour. Like most people, what, what do they do? That sort of like pull out their phone and they just start scrolling. Right. I also do that. You know, I'm, 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 I'm not superhuman, but, um, but but I think just like having that awareness that you actually have a lot more time in the day where you're not quote unquote like channeling towards something productive and then trying to just be mindful in those situations to try to channel to something productive. I think that most people have more time than they realize. Again, like not everybody, some people really are constrained for time, but like, if, like you, I, I even see this like on a bus, like you, you, like you see a lot of people, like they'll just pull out like a gemara. Like a like a Talmud on on the bus, and I'll just like start you know learning like every single every single second of free time like use it to, and channel towards something productive. So I'm definitely not at that level, but like I I try in some moments to sort of like channel that dead time towards productive stuff. Even with that though, you still have even if you use all that dead time, there still is a finite amount of time. And I know you mentioned to me in the past that creating videos, you haven't done as much of that anymore. Um, no, you've leaned into something else. I think right now that you're you're focusing on, uh, because you have X amount of finite time. So what 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 are you focusing on more now? Why not videos? Yeah. So so the so basically um right now on LinkedIn um basically every, every day I, I post an idea or a thought on LinkedIn. Um, Just back up. How did you start this? Why did you start this? Yeah. So so this is basically a side a side project, a side hobby. You could call it. Um, about a year ago, um, basically just based on my background i'm a very creative person i really like writing i like making videos and i decided that i wanted to start sharing some of my writing um i i, I to, to be honest my my initial mode my my initial sort of idea or motivation was to create videos sort of daily videos in the same way that like naz daily i'm a big fan of his sort of like makes one video a day and that's sort of like the way like having that consistency of creating or like outputting content on a daily basis having that consistency is is like one of the main fa- key factors i believe to like really building yourself up successfully in that way um but i but because of those time constraints because of the full-time job and the kids and and you know my relationship with my wife and the commute and all of the other things just like the the amount of time that i would need each day in order to output a single video uh would be astronomical i don't, just don't have the time like my my calculation was that for every one minute of edited footage takes me about eight hours of work. So I thought to myself, like, I don't have eight hours a day, but maybe I can spare one hour a day, up to one hour a day. Again, with maybe breaks in between the 20 minute bus ride, the the 10 minute, you know, uh, sitting at my desk while I have some dead time, like maybe I could channel that towards something that's that that doesn't involve that time investment. And I thought about writing. Um, So so I sort of had this idea that I would start I would start writing. Um, initially, I, I was just like posting on my personal Facebook page, getting getting two likes, and each time one of them is from my mom, my mom, um, which is which is great. Again, like I'm writing for personal reasons. Keep it off, I am. You get a yes, mitzvah. That's true, 
but uh, but but I definitely think that there's something to like having um, engagement from 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 audience from strangers um, that that really motivates you to continue. That really provides that sort of incentive beyond like your internal motivation of like yeah, I just want to write because like I I enjoy it. There's also something about creating something creative and then having other people interact with it. Um, it sort of like feels like your own creation. You know, people like deriving enjoyment and benefit from it. Um, I think that's like a really high level of fulfillment. Um, so, so I, I decided so someone suggested, why don't you start, you know, why don't you start like posting on LinkedIn, just like copy and paste it over. Like, and I never really thought about LinkedIn as like a social network. Like I opened up a profile sometime during college just cause like everyone was doing it and I just left it there and didn't, didn't touch it. So I did that. Um, and then for some reason, I don't quite know why, it just sort of like blew up. Um, well, what were you focusing on? What were you writing about? So on, on, And why? So on, on Facebook, I was writing, um, so it, it, basically, it basically began during COVID. Uh, I had some friends reach out to me. This was already like I was one and a half, two years into my work at, uh, at Facebook as a software engineer. And uh, I had friends just like reach out to me to sort of consult um, questions like, should I learn to code? Um, I also want to be a software developer. What do I need to do? I'm not quite sure if I should uh, study computer science or I should do a boot camp. So I had friends casually reaching out to me and I would sort of just like advise and consult them over the phone. And um, I, uh, I, I had a friend um, who, who also made Aliyah from Australia. We studied together um, in high school. He made Aliyah. He's also married, living here in Jerusalem. He has children. And uh, he's, he's doing his doctorate in law. And he wanted to do something in like this, the AI and law innovation space. And he was deliberating whether he should invest time in, in learning how to code. Because the project that he wanted to do involved like the technical coding aspect. So over a series of conversations, we basically, we, we, we basically had, you know, it was almost like sort of casual career advice on like, what, what should you do? Um, and then I thought to myself, like, wow, there's like some really awesome like advice here. And, and, and I see like from all these conversations I'm having um, that the questions repeating themselves, like from this friend and that friend, I'm going to write it down. So I wrote it down, um, all of my thoughts in like a very, very long Facebook post. Uh, and it got a lot of engagement from like friends. And someone said to me, why don't you just like copy and paste it over to like LinkedIn? I said, OK, so I did it there. And um, and, and over there, it also got a bit of engagement. Um, and then like a few months went by and then I, I, I decided that I would try, try and do that again. And I actually saw um, what was interesting was, so um, I write both in English and Hebrew, was that when I would post a piece of content in LinkedIn in English, it would get less engagement than if I posted a piece of content in Hebrew. Um, and I have like various assumptions why, like I think maybe just because my immediate network are like fellow my professional network because you know this is where I started myself professionally are like Israelis who are Hebrew speakers um, another reason was there was a certain stigma in LinkedIn at the time associated with posting content in Hebrew so all of these Israelis would sort of like bite their teeth um, and try to like output stuff in English instead of Hebrew so there was maybe a lot of demand for Hebrew content on LinkedIn that's like professional content but not a lot of supply so I started posting there and very quickly within like a matter of days, um, it just like everything. So like when viral got like tens of thousands of like engagements and likes and it was shared and I was like, wow, okay, this is cool. 
Um, and then just like based on those like feedback loops that I was getting, I started um, just like posting there every day. Where has that brought you? Speaking engagements? Yeah. Has the following grown? Yeah. So, so o- over the last year, um, so one of the great things in LinkedIn is you can actually see your, um, the, the, um, your performance um, in like a cumulative, a cumulative way. So 10 million uh, engagements with posts over the last 11 months since I began. Um, obviously built up the following to like 20,000. Um, it's obviously like specific towards like Israeli high tech. It's like a very niche sort of, because uh, I, I, I write in Hebrew to an Israeli audience and specifically on stuff related to like high tech and like LinkedIn and job interview tips and stuff. And uh, yeah, in terms of opportunities, it's, it's opened up a lot of doors from speaking engagements, um, re- requests to be hosted in, in podcasts, writing engagements, like people who, who have asked me to come write for them. Or to or to co-opt some of my pieces and, and to publish them in, in in their journals or 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 in their or in their websites. Um, obviously, various job opportunities and, and job offers from regular job offers that come work for us for our company to like, you know, more more tailored job offers of like I'm looking for you know someone to to like join me in my startup as like a as like a co-founder. I follow like your writing and like I feel that like we would really connect. Like let's let's talk. So uh, it's so the, the upside has been extremely positive. Um, cool, and yeah. and just you being you, every opportunity that presents itself, you also think about how can I help Israel? How can I help the world? So how is this LinkedIn opportunity? What what did that lead you to do anything else? Uh, yeah. So I mean, it's it, it's kind of like a very it's like it's it's a very internal facing sort of like niche um, audience where I'm basically speaking towards Israelis. Right, who are who are already here in Israel? Um, so it's like a less of like an external sort of thing. Um, I, I I do try to focus a lot on um, on like the startup nation and so like the miracle that is like modern Israel and like the amazing technology uh, that, that that is coming that is coming out of it. Um, it I, I guess there's like many different aspects to the Israel story, right? Like we talked earlier about like the political aspect, um, and then like just working sort of in the Hasbara field of like creating videos that like explain the history the conflict the context then there's also like a whole different avenue which is like the narrative of like israel is a startup nation or the scale-up nation now like look at all of these you know fortune 500 companies that have set up their offices here look at all these startups that that, that have set you know that are based here the amazing technology that's coming out so on linkedin I, i definitely try to like focus on that second um aspect um and then even more, even internally, you were talking about within Israel. How have you thought about giving back uh, and continue impacting this internal sphere? Yeah, I, I think I think that um, giving Israelis a sense of pride in like what their country has accomplished and achieved—that's definitely something that I've seen um, through 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 some of my through some of my stuff on LinkedIn. Um, like, for, for example, uh, you know, the fact that. Um, you know, just just like the amount of just if you look at like the raw numbers, like the like the number of Israeli universities that are like top twenty in the world in terms of in terms of the number of startups and founders that have come out of there. So there was like a re, a recent study that came out that of like the top twenty universities in the world, all of them are in the U.S. except for two, which are which are Israeli universities. So like that's an example of like an incredible statistic. You know, like it's more than like you'd think that like maybe UK, Germany, China, like they would be there, but but no, it's it's Israel. So again, I'm talking to an internal audience, but like Israelis are often surprised to like just hear about their own country. Like, wow, this is this is amazing. 
Um, Amazing. And, and even yeah. aside for that, so again, you're showing the world. But uh, I, I've seen recently that you've gotten involved in trying to help people get jobs here. Yeah. So uh, so so that, that that's also something that began uh, like iteratively through through LinkedIn. So in the same way that I started LinkedIn as sort of like um, as sort of like a consequence of just like advising casually my friends. So the same thing with this with, with this with this job search. Basically, the so currently there's like a website um, that basically what's it uh, called? It's called Guzali. Um, and the idea behind it is is that people who are looking for work in Israel, specifically in high tech, so Israeli high tech job searchers, job seekers can sign can leave their details on on the site, um, and they can obviously say you know which fields they're looking for a job in, what particular position. Then they write a few additional details about themselves, like years of experience, relevant background in education. They can also attach their resume. And then, and then um, Israeli high-tech companies and startups that are actively hiring can, can then have um, a list of, of people who are looking for work. And then based on that list, they can reach out to relevant candidates. So, so far, uh, o- over 2,000 people have signed up to it. And then there's also like an additional section where the companies that are actively hiring can, can add their open positions so that candidates can go in and, and, and see those open positions. So that also sort of began as an iterated project where... You know, I was first trying to like help individuals who would like reach out to me by maybe you know trying to connect them with 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 different companies like forward their resume on or like help them write a post on LinkedIn uh, for like job searching and then from there it sort of like scaled to this Google sheet where people could just like leave their details and now it's this website so it's 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 been you know f- uh, by the way it's all like totally free and open to the public and like anyone can sort of like just view 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 all of that information. Uh, and it's it's been amazing, like um, just like the, the the amount of the amount of traction that it that it's gained, and I've received a lot of personal messages from both candidates who have told me that people companies have reached out to them to invite them for like interviews, um, and and to companies, so like you know technical rec- so like recruiters who work for startup companies who say that you know like we're, we're using your website and like you should know like it's passing in through like our internal like messaging groups, like we pass it around and and, and we love it and. Obviously, like with some like feedback and advice, like change this font, do this, move this there. But other than that, it's great. So, Avi, a common thing that comes up through your entire story is as you're developing your family, as you're developing yourself, as you're developing personally, you're constantly thinking, how how can I give back? How can I use my platform to help others? For our alumni, our students, early 20s, why is it important for them to think about not only their professional development, but giving back? And number two is how does one creatively do that? So uh, those, th- those are really great questions. In terms of why should a person give? Um, like, uh, if you, if, like we have a very limited time here on this earth, right? Like, is our, like what, what's, our, what's our purpose? Like, what, what are we here for? Like, I think those, those are questions that everyone should really be asking themselves. Like, they're very deep questions. Um, I think the answer could be different for everyone. But like ultimately, if, if you think about it, sort of like the messaging that we receive from Western society of like, you know, live, you know, live to work, get as, you know, accumulate as much money as, as you can so that you can live a comfortable life. Like when, you, when, when a person looks back on their legacy, you know, 80, 90 years down the track um, and they think about like, you know, what, what was like, what did I do in my life? Was, was it all just about my career and making money or was there something else? 
And I think that's like a really powerful thought that can that can really be a driver. Like people want to, if you want to influence the world positively, and even even not the world, just like those around you, like your family, your community, you can think about, you know, what like what what motivates you and and what you want to give back. Um, in in terms of the why, um, again, I think it's a very personal question. Um, I think like everyone should just like examine like their motivation, um, and and like the things that they're passionate about. But I, but I definitely think as sort of like a lifestyle, th- this idea of, of, of giving um, without necessarily expecting someone to reciprocate, um, I, I think that's a really powerful way to sort of build um, yourself up as an individual. It's a powerful way to build community and friendships. Um, and I just think it makes the world a better place, right? If, if people give without the expectation of receiving. And I, I also think that like, that there's this idea that, you know, if you give and you provide value to people, like Hashem will find a way to, to like reward you or like someone could say, you know, karma or like the universe will find a way to reward you. But like you'll, 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 you'll get that reward back um, on, on some level, like even if you don't have an expectation of it. Um, so, so yes, yeah, so I think it just like makes a more, for a more harmonious society community when, when people give. Yeah, in terms of in terms of how somebody should think about creative, and the things that you've been involved in are are amazing. But a regular individual, they now want to make an impact. How does one start thinking creatively on how I can make an impact? I mean, like I I, I view myself as a regular individual. I think everyone's every single person has their unique skill set, um, unique contribution to the world. Um, every person comes from a, a unique background with a different perspective and a different experience. So, so, I, so I think that everyone, everyone has a, um, something unique that they can bring to the table and that they can give. I think that at the end of the day, it comes down to um, how does someone leverage their skill set, their knowledge, harness their abilities, um, and channel that towards a positive pursuit on something that they're passionate about. So, for example, you could have, you know, may, you could maybe have like a college, someone who's like majoring in business development who decides that, you know, they want to volunteer their time with like a non-for-profit over the summer um, and help them with their business development. Or there could be, there could be someone else who, who studies music, right? And then, and then they volunteer their time going to like an old age home and sort of cheering up the residents there by, by playing the violin. I'm saying like every single person has their unique circumstances. And I also think that in terms of, in, in, in terms of like impact, I think like a lot of people, like there's, there's sort of like this messaging that maybe we receive, like, you know, you can change the world, you know what I mean? Like just, if you just believe in yourself, like you can do anything. But I think like what's lost there, like I think that sort of like skips a few steps. Like you first need to build yourself up to get to a point where you can do that. And I think that a lot of time, the, the, the idea of, of like focusing on like a much closer circle, like family, community is sort of like lost in the process because everyone's just sort of like chasing, chasing like that big ticket item, like let's change the world. And invariably the world is like a very complicated place and then no one ends up changing the world. It's, it's, it's bigger than any single person. So um, every single person has a family. Every person has a community, has classmates, has a college, um, high school friends. So, so you, you just have these different circles around you um, of, of varying size and closeness. And then the question is like, how can you impact those first circles and then build yourself up from there. So like with a lot of the stuff that I'm, I've been doing, it's been very iterative. Like first I speak to a friend, then I speak to another friend and then that friend, you know, about career advice. And then 
that friend refers his friend who I don't know to me to speak and I speak to him. So that's already like a second circle. And then like it scales up to like, you know, LinkedIn posts with, you know, with people who I don't know at all. And then like this Google Doc and then this website. So the same thing for like someone in in their early 20s who's in college or about to finish college. So you have the people who you study with and, and you see on a daily basis. Like that's that's one circle. Like how can you impact them in a positive way? And then from there, once you provide value, um, then people refer you on and like then you impact a wider circle. Maybe like you'll impact, you know, all all the third year students in your college and from there like your entire college and then maybe from there the the, the neighborhood or or, 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 the, or the town that you're in. So saying there's like various degrees, there's like these varying degrees of circles and it, it's not just about what you're doing but also the people that you're reaching. And I think that, that like having that having that those steps to sort of build yourself up um, also provides you with the experience in making an impact and also the, the legitimacy so that when you want to actually make an impact on like a larger scale, like a national or a global scale, you sort of like have that background. Amazing. In conclusion, Avi, for our, our listeners, people that are for late, late, late teens, early 20s, early professionals you know, that, are, that care about Israel um, and Jewish values, what's a message that you want to leave everybody with? I think it's a huge privilege to be part of the Jewish people. We have an incredible history that's more than 3,000 years old, an ancient tradition that has been passed down from parents to children for thousands of years. We have something very, very special. Um, and, and I think that one of the tragedies is that so many young Jews are being brought up without knowing about their heritage and without their tradition, also here in Israel. Uh, you, you you see often like a lot of these, you, you read a lot of stories sometimes about like, you know, first they, you know, of like people who really search for like spirituality, who, who like try to understand their identity and then they like go to India for like five years to like, to like join, to, to join like an ashram and they, and, and then there's something missing. So then, so then they, so then they go to like somewhere else in the far East to Thailand and then from there to South America. Um, but like all along, there's like this amazing treasure that's just like right under our feet, which is which is our history and our tradition and our heritage, and and and, and there are very beautiful things um, in 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 Judaism in in Torah um, that that really like in order to truly appreciate them, you really have to sort of like delve into it. Um, and obviously, I'm I'm also just like, you know, I've I've been here for a while, but I still feel like I'm at the start of my journey, and like every single time, like I engage, you know, with Torah. Um, I, I feel like I'm doing it for the first time um, because there's just all this depth. And I think that most people just aren't aware of it. Um, so so one one message that I would impart is is just to to explore, to explore what you have um, and, and to explore your own background. Avi, thank you so, so much. It's been amazing. My pleasure, Rabbi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please help us reach more people by subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For more content like this, visit our website at thrivestudyabroad.org.